The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box, and these are your headlines. The Federal Reserve pledges to continue buying bonds at its current pace to support the U.S. economy, with Chair Jerome Powell warning of an uncertain short-term outlook. The second half of next year, should the economy should be performing strongly. We should be, uh, you know, we should be getting people back to work. We should, businesses should be reopening and that kind of thing. The issue is more the next four or five months, getting through the next four, five, six months. That is key. U.S. markets see a mixed session with the Nasdaq hitting a new record as Congress appears to be getting closer to a $900 billion aid bill that's likely to include stimulus checks and extended unemployment benefits. The U.S. Treasury labels Switzerland a currency manipulator, saying it kept the franc lower to gain unfair trade advantages as the Swiss National Bank rejects the allegations. And British MPs, well, they could well return from their Christmas holidays as early as next week to discuss Brexit trade terms after the EU signals progress in negotiations. France records its biggest daily jump in coronavirus cases in nearly a month with more than 17,000 new infections reported. We'll be speaking with Kirill Dmitriev, the RDIF CEO, in less than 30 minutes' time about Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. Good morning all. Welcome to the programme. The Federal Reserve then has pledged to continue its current monthly debt purchases until, quote, substantial further progress has been made in the recovery. The central bank now expects the US economy to shrink just 2.4% this year, up from the 3.7% fall predicted in September. It also slightly upgraded next year's growth forecast to 4.2%. And as expected, the Fed held key benchmark rates close to zero. Well, the Fed chair told reporters the next four to six months are crucial for the economy as the U.S. gradually rolls out COVID-19 vaccines. Recent news on vaccines has been very positive. However, significant challenges and uncertainties remain with regard to the timing, production and distribution of vaccines, as well as their efficacy across different groups. It remains difficult to assess the timing and scope of the economic implications of these developments. The ongoing surge in new COVID-19 cases, both here in the United States and abroad, is particularly concerning, and the next few months are likely to be very challenging. The Fed chair assured the central bank would keep interest rates low and continue with bond buying until the economy is on its way to full employment. The increase in our balance sheet this year has materially eased financial conditions and is providing substantial support to the economy. Combined with our forward guidance for the federal funds rate, our enhanced balance sheet guidance will ensure that the stance of monetary policy remains highly accommodative as the recovery progresses. Our guidance is outcome-based and is tied to progress toward reaching our employment and inflation goals. Thus, if progress toward our goals were to slow, the guidance would convey our intention to increase policy accommodation through a lower expected path of the federal funds rate and a higher expected path 
of the balance sheet. Is it just me or does he sound like a man who said that a couple of times before? It sounds like it's just kind of, yeah, I've told you this. I'm like, we're going to support the markets. We'll get you through this. Then we'll move on. And we're, oh, by the way, did I mention I want a fiscal stimulus? He didn't sound like a man motivated by his job there, did he? Maybe that's how central bankers are supposed to sound. Quite bored with their job? I don't know. Anyway, let's have a look at the US markets. Another record for the NASDAQ, 0.5% um, higher. Harder work for the Dow and the S&P. Utilities are proving such an exciting sector all of a sudden. Not really, but they were the biggest gainer in the previous session. And yesterday they were down 1.1%. So that was the, the biggest move there to the downside. Consumer discretionary was quite popular as well. Um, let's have a look at the Treasuries, see if we can be more excited than Jay Powell about the Treasuries. Not really. Uh, 0 0.246 is the uh, 0.9246. Well, hey, is the 10 year yield there? Uh, 30 yield. And, and, uh, the year yield is a 0 0.1.66. We'll, we'll ask um, Carl Weinberg, who's probably waiting in the wings uh, to discuss all kinds of things with us in a moment, about, well, is it working? What would the yields be without? How manipulated is this treasury market, seeing as the US is labeling other people manipulators? Let's have a look at the dollar crosses in the meantime and where we're trading. I know the dollar index was down again, down just over 6% for the year. Look at the pound, eh? Well, hey, we're off to the races. I do hope that we're not all going to be disappointed by this one. Maybe it's Monsieur Macron and his demands over long-term fishing access to British waters that will that will they'll be get the blame for this because at the moment everyone thinks this is a done deal that's what you're saying in these markets you think there is a done deal on brexit anyway look at this one euro is rallying quite hard against the dollar again 122.27 dollar yen trading 103.29 as well russell 2k uh what do you think the russell 2k is and that's a great chart actually what do you think it is off its 52 week low 102 percent it's 102 percent higher then it's 52 weeks Isn't that extraordinary? Right, I mentioned him. He's waiting the wings. He must be naught o'clock in America land. But let's get to Carl Weinberg, who is chief economist at High Frequency Economics. You look surprisingly awake, Carl Weinberg. So that's really good to see. Now, what is the Fed up to? Is it doing something that is, is, is essential buying these bonds for the US economy, for US lending access, for keeping yields lower? Or actually, is the counterfactual not that scary if they weren't doing it? Well, I think that the, the factual of it is, is that monetary accommodation is not the obstacle to recovery at this moment. That we're looking at probably a need for fiscal policy, and the Fed is doing its job making sure that monetary conditions don't get in the way. Financial conditions remain accommodative, interest rates remain low, even though they're up a little bit at the long end, uh, as, as you were just mentioning. But uh, generally speaking, the Fed's not going to get in the way of this recovery. Um, and uh, now the, the, the real problem is to get the, the recovery actually going, and that falls in the battle with the fiscal policy. I do hope the Treasury is not going to label the uh, central bank a Treasury manipulator, Carl. Um, but, but that aside, what would yields be if the um, Federal Reserve wasn't buying these bonds? Because I can't help thinking people would want them at these kind of yields anyway, given the lack of inflation. Goodness gracious, you know, that's a, you know, like you said, it's hard to prove the negative where we would be without. The general consensus among economists is that we're getting about 100 to 150 basis points uh, off of 10-year yields because of the Fed's asset purchases. That's just a guess and really don't know. And frankly, it really doesn't matter, all right? What we need to know, all right, is that interest rates are low, credit is available, uh, and that uh, we're seeing uh, the financial system stable uh, where we are right now, thanks to the Fed support. So uh, let's just not worry about the counterfactual about how bad it could be. Let's just focus on where we are, Steve, which is that we're poised for recovery, but there are still a number of ingredients that have to fall into place to make that happen. 
Yeah, let's just talk about that, Carl, because it seems to me every investment bank or institution on the street has declared um, the markets are going up early into next year on this reflation and on the success of the vaccine program. What's the contra story here, Carl? What is anybody missing in their economic analysis? Yeah, hi, Jeff. Good morning. You know, you remember back to 2007, 2008, and the stock market climbed merrily through the first part of uh, the event. It wasn't until Lehman's that it really turned the corner and went the other way. So the stock market rally is nice. Investors have money. They're putting it into stocks. That's great. But the underlying economic fundamentals are still dicey, as Fed Chair Powell pointed out yesterday. The next few months in particular are extremely dangerous with this resurgence of the disease. I mean, the disease is your leading economic indicator because the more the disease rages, the more the shutdowns and lockdowns that we're going to have, and the more that business is going to get interrupted, and therefore the more people's incomes are going to get interrupted. You know, And then we have the second problem that I think the market is missing, which is that the economy is not just going to spring back to life once everybody has the vaccine. And there are a lot of companies out there that are dead that were viable businesses a year ago. So we need to add an element of fiscal support for what I'm calling post-COVID reconstruction of the economy, just as if we've been bombed, right? We've lost a lot of companies that really should still be in business. And we need public policy, not just transfers of income to people who are unemployed, but transfers capital injections into companies that have failed to bring them back to life so the economy can get back to work again. Carl, if you look at MSCI Asia Pacific X Japan, it's up nearly 4% just in December alone here. The weak dollar has persuaded a lot of investors, I think, to broaden out into the emerging markets in the belief that this dollar weakness is here to stay. And then yesterday, of course, the Fed said, we're going to extend these uh, swap arrangements with uh, the central banks that they've um, uh, initiated fresh agreements with. Um, How critical is that announcement to those who think there is opportunity broadening into emerging and other markets outside of the United States? Yeah, well, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, about the dollar weakness, uh, you know, interest rate spreads are favorable. There is a, a long-term favorable outlook here in the United States as long as the disease can be contained. And that, I guess, is the big question mark. We're not doing a very good job of it. And that's sowing a lot of doubt in people's minds about uh, where the U.S. economy is uh, is going. The importance of the swap lines is, is more, to me, the, the contribution they make to financial stability, the assurance that dollar liquidity will remain no matter what. And uh, And I think that that's the guts of it. Carl, I'm also looking at the dollar index this morning. I was just charting the year to date and it's just incredible. We saw that weakness in November and it's continued on during this month of December. So the curve is is fairly extended if you look at the the year to date moves. But in contrast to what you're seeing on the yield, uh, as the yield starts to pick up uh, with a little bit of risk on movements in the market. So what we're seeing here, I wonder whether it's just that the dollar is not an all weather currency anymore, that uh, in times of stress and concern, you're seeing investors march into the greenback. But uh, as soon as it's risk on around some of the vaccine news, stimulus news, it uh, is not a beneficiary for the dollar. How much more does this go then? Uh, you know, do you think that the dollar can reclaim that all weather status and, and start to pick up at some point? Or do you think this is a curve that is just unbreakable now? Well, I, nothing is unbreakable, Karen. Every every cycle breaks, and, and I'm sure this one will also. 
you know, there's severe doubt about the U.S.'s capacity to deal with this COVID. We've done a really terrible job of it, you know, compared to other countries, total number of cases, incidents per capita, deaths per capita, you name it. The United States is a league leader or close to it, and a league where we really do not want to be playing. So I think that we have to regain control or gain control over the virus and show the world that we can do what we're famous for, which is innovating, leading, working through adversity and so forth. And uh, we're hoping that a Biden administration will bring a different, more scientific approach to dealing with this and coordinate the, uh, the interactions with the state governments and local, local governments, get testing out there. You know what we have to do. Everybody knows what we have to do. And it's just a question of getting the job done. I think that'll do more for the dollar than anything on the economic sphere. And on the side, it will also do more for the economy because my leading economic indicator right now is the COVID curve. Cases go up, the economy goes down. It's just as simple as that. We're also watching the vaccine news very closely in Europe. But, but one of the other big issues, of course, has been Brexit and the trade talks. You've spent a long time also watching the developments. But if you look at the currency, the market is uh, certainly moving along the, the pathway that we've got a deal at some point. Uh, the 135 uh, plus level suggests a lot of optimism in this trade. What do you make of that, given we've had a pandemic that's wrecked havoc on the UK? A lot of lockdowns have been required here, wrecking huge economic damage. If there isn't a trade agreement that could be further fall south on that GDP number in coming months, do you think the market is a little bit mispriced around the currency? Well, I think the market's bet is that at the end of the day, there will be a deal. And then when all the posturing is done, that Britain won't go cold turkey on January 1st. And uh, that's a good working hypothesis. It's always worked before, and I think that's what's in the market. So now that the question is, will there be a deal? And I don't know, you don't know, nobody knows, even Boris Johnson probably doesn't know for sure whether there's going to be a deal. Um, you know, the terms have been set out by the European Union. It's their free trade area, and they'll let Britain in if Britain will accept the terms that they're willing to be admitted upon. And it's not a negotiation, you know, it's a statement of terms. So we're gradually coming around to that, and, um, you know, maybe Britain will uh, concede the points and, and agree that it's cheaper to go in under those terms and to stay out under the terms that it's seeking. Uh, but this is a political question that's well above my pay grade, and I think we just have to wait and see how the politicians handle it. A lot's above your pay grade, Carl Weinberg. We know that. Now, quick question. Uh, and I was being a little bit um, facetious as ever at the wall where I was saying it's OK to manipulate the Treasury market, but it's not OK to control your own currency as well. Are the Swiss manipulating their currency, in your view? I don't think so. You know, uh, I don't really understand where that came from. I certainly don't understand how you know, declaring the Swiss to be a currency manipulator advances the interest of the United States or makes anything better for anyone doing business. And of course, there are no consequences to being declared a currency manipulator either. So, um, you know, this is, um, you know, it's what the current Treasury Secretary is doing, and there'll be a new Treasury Secretary in a few months. We'll see what happens. I suspect a lot of things will be different under the Biden administration, including a more globalistic look at the world, a more open-minded look at the world, and more of an effort to try to build friends around the world rather than to uh, establish antagonistic relationships. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, we'll see a different tack as we move forward in the new year. How do you manage to stay so awake at quarter past one, Carl? Well, it's snowing outside, you know, and the wind is howling and uh, it's kind of hard to sleep at a time like this. But it's always a pleasure to stay awake for you guys. And, it's just, have to work. and Carl, we love you too. You know that. There's a lot of love, a lot of transatlantic love going on here. 
Anyway, I think that's no. it. I think we're done he for the makes, year. He makes it sound like a Jack London movie, doesn't he? Jack London movie. Yeah, the, the wind howling was howling. Wind. The wolves were baying. Oh. <laughs> he didn't actually mention the wolves? No, he didn't. Uh, Carl, nice to see you, my friend. We're going to see you early in 2021. I'm sure that's it for the year for you and us. So uh, we will see you then. And thank you very much indeed for the excellent copy you send us all on a regular basis. We all use it a lot. So Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist, High Frequency Economics. I wonder if that means that uh, Stephen Mnuchin goes back to making movies then. What do you think? Why? I mean, Carl talking about, you know, we get a change in the Treasury Secretary. Janet Yellen. We get Janet yeah. Yellen coming in yeah. and uh, she's got a more world view. And then Steve Mnuchin goes off to do something else. I wonder if he goes back to the movie business. Could do, couldn't they? Yeah. Be be interesting. We'll see what lots of people in the administration do afterwards, won't they? <laughs> they were all very interested. Jail uh, time. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, I should correct my colleague, other occupations and activities are available after uh, your time in the administration. I didn't name anybody. I didn't slander anybody. Uh, it was him, not me, okay. Uh, for more, <laughs> he's cut more. I'm Sedgwick, okay. For more on the Fed's latest decision and to see why Jerome Powell doesn't believe stock markets are priced too high, check out CNBC.com. Jeffrey. The uh, Swiss National Bank then says it remains willing to continue intervening in the foreign exchange market after the US accused Switzerland of being a currency manipulator. The Treasury Department warned it would take action against the country unless steps were taken to address its concerns. The Swiss Central Bank will publish its latest rate decision this morning. We will speak with the SNB chairman, Thomas Jordan, later today. So bookmark your diary for the day. We will have that conversation. Elsewhere, U.S. lawmakers are edging closer to a deal on a $900 billion package ahead of Friday's deadline to fund the government. Uh, CNBC has confirmed the bill will not include liability protections for business and aid to state and local government. But NBC News has reported the measures would contain an extension of unemployment assistance as well as direct payments to Americans. A quick look at how U.S. futures are perched ahead of the session uh, as we count down to the day later on on Wall Street. Uh, clearly some uh, risk on moves we've witnessed uh, in some of the sessions around stimulus. And you can see uh, 91 points to the upside for Dow. Jones futures at this point uh, signals a positive right across on the charts this morning. Steve. Thank you, Karen. Right, coming up on the show, the U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson tells lawmakers to prepare to possibly... But they haven't even left yet. They're going to... Uh, well, anyway, to return to Parliament next week as hopes rise for a Brexit deal. And the podcast today is excellent. All kinds of wonderful things from Jeff on there, I'll tell you. Uh, for more on the Fed's pledge to continue bond buying and the potential consequences of that move and what various uh, Fed, uh, administration members may be doing after their time in the uh, Trump administration, now check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner today. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
back. The Bank of England will unveil its latest policy decision of the uh, year. This will be the last policy decision that will be later today, with the central bank widely expected to keep rates on hold in the face of pandemic concerns and ongoing Brexit trade negotiations. This, as the bank has increased the size of its bond-buying programme and kept its key borrowing costs near zero in a bid to support the British recovery. I mean, the interesting story here is where are we in terms of the negative interest rate scenario because um, that prospect doesn't seem to be alarming those who think the pound should be going higher. Is the evidence from those who have gone into negative interest rates conclusive that it improves the lot of the transmission mechanism, the availability of liquidity, uh, and indeed boost the broader economy. Is the evidence unambiguous that, it, that they work, that they make a difference compared with zero rates or 0.1% for your interest rate? And I would say I can't see it. I can't see how it's improved the lot of anyone. In fact, if anything, it's obviously been a barrier to financial institutions and their profitability and hence their ability to act as transmission mechanisms. There was a, a US Fed paper, I think it may have been out of the San Francisco Fed, uh, which looked at this and made the argument that perhaps on the balance of the evidence, it was slightly negative in terms of its impact on the economic recovery. But clearly, the central banks feel that if you have a strategy, you just continue to do it until you get the result that you desire, so whether it's going to return the result territory again. or not at this stage. And obviously, the one aspect of this argument that is difficult to answer is the counterfactual. What would have happened if we hadn't done this? It is keeping the door very wide for banks to continue lending into the real economy. But banks can't pun uh, be punitive against their savers, can they? They can't say, I'm charging you to keep money here. Well, I think the Swiss, uh, the Swiss do that, don't they? I mean, the, the Swiss National Bank has a strategy of uh, effectively charging no, banks that you, deposit Karen, money Karen, with you want to jump in here as well. But I remember you, Cutmore, talking about financial repression years ago before we got to this stage. And this seems like the ultimate financial repression, isn't it? Yeah. You've been careful, you save, mm. you're in the Sparkassen, all my friends in Germany, what have you. Mm. Uh, and yet you save a bit of money for a rainy day. And what do you get? You get charged for it. Karen. Well, you also create a problem for the future, don't you? We talk about pension liabilities down the track and the role of government. If you uh, compress savers' ability in their working years, uh, specifically, it means when they go into retirement, a very limited pool of funds to support that retirement. Uh, one of the other factors you're seeing, of course, around the tightening of property rules in the UK. So where exactly does the government want you to invest for that retirement that they want you to fund? Uh, the stock market? You want investors to go into risky assets alone? So I think it poses long-term challenges. But also you've seen other jurisdictions where it has been rolled out from Europe to Japan. It's very hard to bring inflation back and growth is also much slower. So it is right that the UK proceeds with caution on this issue. Yeah, here, here, Karen. I'm talking of the UK, if I may. Um, the pound rises to a two and a half year high of 135.64 as well. I've got a 10 year chart of the pound up in front of me, actually. And of course, I was looking specifically at what happened around the events of June 2016. Um, which was, yeah, we dipped from 140-odd down to 130-odd and then carried on going down to 120, which has been quite a decent flaw in our oscillations post the Brexit vote as well. The high for the last 10 years, you may be interested in, is 170, which we hit in August 2014 as well. 
Is the, um, is the rate against the euro a better barometer of how the market is behaving with sterling around the Brexit negotiations? I just say that because we, we tend to focus on cable as uh, an indicator of how people feel about the progress being okay. made in the Brexit talks. But obviously, it, the movement is somewhat concealed by the decline that we've seen in the dollar. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can do that for you. I can do exactly what you just asked for. So I will go and look at the 10 year chart of euro sterling, which I have done and I have in front of me by coincidence. Um, And so basically the euro uh, hit a low versus the pound of around about 0.7 in the same month, funnily enough, in August uh, 2015, though, actually a little bit later. So and, and that was the high watermark for the pound 2014. And then we've been stuck in the uh, again, a post-Brexit vote June 2016 range, uh, where only now can we see, well, I mean, again, it, it's very well behaved looking at that chart, isn't it? Actually, incredibly tight range when you think about it. Uh, I will read, read on, uh, because British lawmakers could well... Did, sorry, did Karen want to come in? Oh, go on in, Karen. Sorry, much more interesting than me reading. Just quickly, I was going to talk about the correlation again between sterling and FTSE because we keep talking about that strength in FTSE uh, that we've been witnessing on the stock market, trying to keep up with the other stock markets. But you would expect that there would be some of that strength derailed by the strength in sterling. It's not happening at this point. And just as we're talking about that optimism around sterling getting a Brexit deal, it feels as though a lot of the asset managers have now turned positive on the UK that if there is a trade deal, they think that there could be a a catch-up play that uh, happens in 2021 for the FTSE. So it's interesting to see that strength and support levels just coming in to prop up the UK stock market, which, as we know, has been a very tough trade over the course of this year. I think you make very good points. I want to add, though, that I believe that the market is potentially looking at the wrong thing. Uh, It's looking at Brexit for the big catalyst for the UK stock market. I'm going to say I don't think Brexit is the big catalyst for the UK stock market because the UK stock market, if we're talking about the FTSE 100 and to a certain degree the 250, is about the cyclicality of that market. For many years, I would say it's a cyclicality story of why the 250 trades at either a premium or a discount compared with the blue chips. And the blue chips, i.e. the 100, are international companies who have a greater um, a gauge barometer of what is going on with economic activity. When you look at where we are dominated by uh, in, in the FTSE, it is energy, it is basic resources that you know better than I do, Karen, and it is financials. And if we have to look at the sectors that have underperformed the global stock markets, it is financials, it is basic resources, and it is oil and gas companies as well. So I, I would almost say that actually a global economic recovery and a global demand increase in there are set fine, uh, uh, basic resources and oils and indeed more economic activity and perhaps greater interest rate at some stage, which we've already touched upon. That will be a greater catalyst for the FTSE than Brexit because of the, the preponderance of where we have our companies. Sometimes you just need a narrative. And at the moment, the narrative that the world is working with is that the Brits have done something stupid. They've shot themselves in the foot and it's all like going to go Le Maire. That's the narrative. If we get the Brexit agreement, maybe that narrative changes and people say, oh, okay, now we can reassess and reval the UK on its merits. Mm, You do sound like Bruno Le Maire, though. Uh, British lawmakers could be recalled. I mean, British lawmakers, I mean, they have some lovely big holidays. I'm going to get a gauge. How many weeks holiday do you get a year? Five or six, something like that? 
I think yeah, British yeah. lawmakers get a few more weeks. Anyway, apparently they're going to go off for their holidays, then they're going to come back straight away again because British lawmakers, could, this is MPs by the way, uh, could be recorded to vote on a Brexit trade deal as early as next week, according to Downing Street. Parliament is due to break today for the Christmas break, bless them. Uh, negotiations are continuing in Brussels with fishing rights, a key point of contention. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.